0: Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahneman. Thanks for listening.
1: Thanks for doing. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for subscribing and following. It's Justin Hahneman on the ContenderCast. We're shining a light on bright ideas today, and we're in the world of tea. Can't even wait. You know, I love the beverage industry. We spend a lot of time in this subsegment of consumer products. And I don't know that we've had anyone on with the level, experience, knowledge, exposure. Like, I can't even wait to introduce you to my guest today, Shanon Teng, She is the founder and CEO of Tea Drunk. And I mean, we are going to dive deep into tea today. I can't even wait. It's so great to have you on the podcast. Thank you. I'm so glad I get invited. I'm glad, I'm glad I invited you. And I'm so glad you're here. And I can't even wait to unpack what you're doing for our audience because you've got this really cool like mix of like knowledge of industry and product and entrepreneurship. And so I can't even wait to dive in today. So um, let's do this. Before we get to Tea Drunk and um, talking about different types of teas, give us a little bit of your background. Like, What were you doing before launching the business? And I know you were in finance, but how did you even get into the industry? Uh,
2: yes. So uh, in my past life, my career was in financial planning and uh, analysis. Um, I was mostly due to uh, was doing like a strategic financial planning. And um, I worked in industries um, like consumer electronics and uh, some technologies and the energy sector. Um, for the whole time, obviously, I kind of enjoyed my finance career, but I, at the same time, also wanted to be closer to products. And that feeling started to get stronger and stronger as I start to approach 30. Um, so I was having <laughs> nice. like a near 30 crisis. Um, and at the time, there were a lot of signs around me as well. I was reunited with childhood friends, with, uh, talk, uh, start talking about what we wanted to be when we were uh young that we thought you know what we would be doing when we're growing up and um i was felt uh, upon the speech that steve jobs gives at the stanford university um and somehow it was just came to me at the right moment that really made me rethink like what do what um what do i destined to do kind of Ah, thing so there are a lot of signs everywhere during that critical time i was doing a lot of uh, rethinking about my career, what I feel passionate about. Uh, so eventually it came down to um, I know that I wanted to be an entrepreneur and start something of my own. And I want to be in the industry where I feel that it makes a difference. Uh, I think all industry makes a difference. But I wanted, particularly wanted to be in the industry where I personally can feel that I was making a difference. And I know that I wanted to be very close to the products. Whereas in my previous career, uh, it was more of a supporting role in any
1: company. Sure. I love so that. I
2: give a really, yeah, so I just give it a really hard think on like, what do I know more than the next person? Obviously, at the time, there actually were a lot of uh, other entrepreneurship opportunities came to me, uh, such as tech startups, which oh, were a very natural exit for <laughs> most people who had a career like I did. Um, but Eventually it came down to I will not get a chance to be close to the product because I'm not an expert in um, the field that the company will be in. So I was just start thinking, okay, what do I know more than the next person? And it has to be food and beverage because I grew <laughs> up in a foodies family and nice. I personally just enjoy uh, eating, drinking a lot. And um but there are a lot of great people doing awesome works in Wine in uh, you know uh, culinary world and I don't think I can become a chef eater so um, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> uh, at the end of the day I was like okay tea I grew up drinking some of the best teas in the world and I really don't think that um, the Western world have fully grasped just what is out there about tea yet um, so that's how I came. Uh, to font
1: tea drunk. Wow, I love that. And you know, for so rewinding a few minutes to what you just said, I mean, it's interesting. You listened to the signs around you, saw things happening and developing around you, and you leaned into those. And I think that's actually a really great lesson for many of our listeners. Sometimes we don't pay attention to the, you know, the people showing up in life and the people around us that, you know, hey, this may be a signal. I should go do this. I think it's really cool that you you saw that and and, and jumped on it. Um, We'll, we'll shift over into tea. For those who don't know, tea is the second most consumed beverage in the world after water. Who knew? Um, yeah. Great category. Uh, it's been one that has grown over time. It's, it's certainly... Uh, like Not only the consumption volume is high, but also just the, the variety now uh, around tea is amazing. We're going to dive into that. But so you decide you're going to get into tea. Like, what did you know about it beforehand? And then like, what did it look like in terms of starting something?
2: So um, I grew up drinking tea, so I have very good intuition around tea in terms of um, having a discerning palate. Um, and also given uh, just my geeky nature, I also know uh, a bit of the uh, book knowledge about tea as well. Um, and in a trip that I that time when I took back to China, I noticed that uh, the tea industry in China was having a renaissance, but at the same time, there are a lot of um, just conflicting information as well. Um, so the, always in the back of my mind, I start to question a lot of the tea knowledge out there. Um, but once I decided I want to start a tea company, um, so I thought, OK, I better find, get to the bottom of this and find <laughs> out the truth. So that's when I started to travel um, through rural China and I visited all the well-known tea producing regions in China. These are all historic tea regions. Wow. Some of them have existed for a thousand years and um, very much praised by past connoisseurs and poets and emperors. So um, I was basically just uh, kind of backpacking and traversed through these tea mountains um, and I, before pandemic, I have been doing that for three months every year during tea season. Wow! Um, that enabled me to get really, really close to the production of tea, to really get to know each toar in detail, uh, the different cultivars, and also learn from the farmers. Got it. So I would say the farmers still hold the most knowledge about tea. It's probably more in depth than any key books that are out there. However, sometimes the knowledge is not as organized and sometimes it's hard to articulate in a way that connects with uh, the learning audience. So, uh, yeah, so that's kind of where I slowly um, start to have a unique expertise is that uh, this very hands-on, in-the-field knowledge that I have on top of the book knowledge that's out there. Um yeah, so I would say the evolution of my knowledge was definitely before it was a combination of just a drinker uh and also book knowledge, but now I got very involved with the production of the tea and the kind of um yeah, just like really living tea.
1: Sure, I love that. Um Many of us haven't spent the time you have in the fields of China um, with farmers, right? Um, talk about what that's like. Right. What What is it that they're doing? What is the timing of uh, production crop? Like, you know, give us kind of the sense for what that looks like before we get to actual finished product.
2: Yes. Yeah. So there are many, um, obviously, different levels of tea out there. Uh, majority of the teas that people encounter in the market are what we call commercial teas. And they're usually uh, harvested nine out of twelve months. But the teas that we do, or the teas that I decided to do, because that's the tea <laughs> I personally interested in, are, are historic teas. And these are truly the pinnacle of the tea world. Uh, these teas respect tea's natural growth cycle, and they can only be harvested 10 to 15 days a year. Oh wow! So the harvesting window 10 is 10 to 15 days restort. a
1: year. Wow.
2: Yes. Um, and obviously these teas sell for, um, a lot of money and a lot of these tea farmers, they are, um, not, um, the typical farmers that people usually would think, um, that the farming activity in developing world where, uh, such, um, uh, actions such as fair trade and stuff like that needs sure. to uh, happen in order to make sure that we are dealing with the farmers uh, in a fair way. Um, these farmers are very wealthy because they are very well established. Consider them almost as the, estate um, owners of like those wine chateaus in France. So um, because the teas are, um, they, you know, they cater to connoisseurs of the highest level in the tea world. But Nonetheless, they live a very traditional life um, because of this kind of uh, um, heritage farming uh, activities. And um, so another thing that people don't get during tea season is oftentimes, um, because I have brought uh, customers and my uh, friends and family members to tea region, people usually imagine... uh, tea being something very calm. Obviously, drinking tea is a very uh, pleasant experience. And people would imagine harvesting tea and making tea also be something of uh, like a very peace, calming, uh, full of serenity kind of activity. However, it's actually not the case at all. It's a combination of the tea season being so short and a lot of money, a stake and then these tea farmers they have to uh, put their best effort out there in order to ensure that whatever they do within that 10 to 15 days that sustain that whole family for the entire year. So it's actually very nerve-wracking activity. Uh, it's it. almost like a battle during tea season in any given tea region. Wow. And um, yeah, there are definitely a lot of yelling and people also <laughs> work around the clock during tea season. And so people are sleep deprived, um, very grumpy, um, but that's all for, to ensure basically the maximum um, quality of the tea. So I like to think, even though, um, you know, people definitely act like they're, they're super on the edge. um, But I like to think it's only because people care. Um, If that um, level of uh, caring is not there, then you wouldn't see people, um, you know, being that emotional about every single uh, step about the process. So, um, and then for me, it's sometimes extra challenging because spring means different time in, the vast nation of China. So um, even though each tea region will have 10 to 15 days, but sometimes I could go to multiple tea regions that covers a pretty large geographic area. So um, so that means I'm always, always on the road. So uh, the farmers might not get to sleep for uh, 10 to 15 days. I don't get to sleep for two to three months. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so it's, it's definitely a very challenging thing to do. And I'm kind of grateful that I, able to do it in my young years.
1: I love that. Now, um, is finished product made in China or is raw material, I'll call it from the harvesting, does it get shipped and then finished product is created elsewhere? Does that make sense?
2: Yes. Um, so everything is done in uh, finished in China. We used to do, um, so all of our tea used to come here loose because the farmers in China, they don't really uh, do packaging and the um uh, and we used to have a physical location so we would just uh, wait the tea as people place their orders and but later on um uh, as we uh, develop our expertise and working with more and more awesome people so even the packaging are now done in china as well because um, both the tea making and I would say majority of the logistics that contributes to the final product, that's tea, um, China has expertise. Got it. So, um, yeah, so everything is, is all done uh, in China. I'm hoping that in my lifetime, uh, I can see the expertise being developed elsewhere. In sure. It.
1: Wow. Um, For those who don't know, Shanon has done a really cool TED-Ed talk on the history of tea. You guys can check that out. Quick search. and It'll easily come up. Um, Okay, let's dive into the different types of teas. I'm I'm very curious. So I'm not an expert uh, for my listeners. Don't laugh at me. Because I don't know what all of these are. I know some of them. I think I know. Um, But help me with with these different types of teas. So maybe you can give us a quick snapshot of green tea versus yellow tea versus white tea versus red tea. And then we can cover these other two types of teas as well.
2: Yes. So um, there are six main categories of teas. Um, And they are green tea, yellow tea, white tea, oolong, red, and black um, so red okay. tea is what people usually think is black tea in the Western world. Um, but I would say within the industry and definitely in East Asia, um, it's commonly known as red tea because black tea is actually referring to a completely different category of teas uh, that are not very commonly seen um, outside of uh, uh, East Asia and Southeast Asia. However, uh, I think it's seeing increasing um Popularity in the West as well, so yeah. So basically, uh, red tea is a black tea, and black tea is something else. Um, And the classification of tea currently is based on how the teas are processed. I would say the number one misinformation about tea classification is either that people are um, adding or minusing some um, categories arbitrarily, or um, (laughs) uh, to make the claim that tea um classification is based on the oxidation or fermentation level. Got uh, it. It's basically reversing the uh, cause effect. Yeah. So I oxidation see. fermentation level that's a result of the um Processing of the tea, but the tea classification is actually based on how the teas are processed. So it's actually very similar in wine in a way. Uh, uh, for example, you can take the same Pinot Noir grape, right? And then you can process into a red wine or you can process into champagne. Hmm. Um, so that classification alone is based on how you actually process the tea, uh, the wine or the grapes.
1: Got it. Yeah, so green tea, yellow tea, white tea. I had said red teas, but that's what's known as black tea. And then there's oolong and pu'er. So, okay, so we covered black tea. Help me with some of these other ones. Uh,
2: yes. So oolong um is a partially fermented tea, right? It's um uh it's probably one of the most dynamic category of teas. Uh, the number one characteristic of oolong is your most aromatic category of teas, um, but it can also be some of the lightest teas as well, um, it can also be some of the darkest teas. So, some oolongs are dark roasted, some oolongs are unroasted, but they're all very showy, very aromatic. Um, I would say for a lot of beginning, beginner tea drinkers, uh, oolong is like the easiest to catch uh, attention. And the yellow teas are very similar to green tea, but it's a little rounder, a little smoother. Uh, right now, I've heard there are other two regions in the world trying to. Uh, Uh, handle yellow tea. But yellow tea remains the rarest category of teas. And even within China, only very selected tea regions have expertise to actually process yellow tea. Um, And puer is a uh, type of tea that's getting increasingly popular, but it's actually not one of the first level categories. There are two different kinds of puer. There is a puer that's more um, like a dark so, sometimes it's called the dark puer or ripened puer. And, and then another category of puer uh, that's more uh, green. And so sometimes it's called the raw puer or the green puer. So, the raw puer, Chinese, we call it the sheng cha. And in the uh, more ripened puer, we call it the shou cha. So, um, they actually each belong to a different first level category. The cup puer or the ripened puer, that's actually uh, a type of black tea. And then the uh, greener or raw pu'er, that's actually uh, classified as a green tea. So um, I think another common mistake people will make is to uh, put pu'er uh, as one of the first level categories, but it's actually not. It's a subcategory. Interesting. Category. I
1: had no idea. That's so incredible. Um Gosh, we could spend probably like an hour or two on all on the six different categories of tea. Um, how have you, and and how did you? You know, you did all this research. You you spent time in China. You you know this category. How did you start to convert this into a business? What did that look like?
2: Yes, I would say I definitely took the hard route, um, but that's <laughs> what I like to do. Nice. Uh, um, yeah, so um, a lot of my job in the finance. Um, career um, was to manage very complex projects. And I think that definitely came handy uh, when I tried to have a business from startup. So it's a small business in nature, but we have many uh, pretty complex um, uh, kind of um, how do I say, a pretty complex process in a way, right? So it's a small business, but I'm not trying to focus on just one segment of the whole industry. I'm trying to bring the product from its production uh, all the way to end consumer. And that, that, because at the time, that was the only way I can ensure that things goes the way I, I want it to go. So, uh, so when I started to design the business, uh, I realized that a big chunk of it will have to do with tea education, because people are so used to paying, um, you know, two, three dollars for tea in coffee shop, uh, our tea um, when we do retail service, most of them are twenty-five to forty dollars per serving. So wow. that's more expensive than Wait, wine. 20? Oh uh, my yes. gosh! Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then on the loose leaf level, most people uh, are probably used to tea that cost uh, five to ten dollars an ounce. Most of our teas are uh, forty to sixty dollars an hour. Wow! So, and some of the very expensive teas are over a thousand
1: dollars. Oh my gosh! So,
2: um, <laughs> yes. So, so uh, it definitely Janan. goes into the category of luxury goods. Got it. Um, so we had to run on a model of luxury goods, where we need to be able to articulate the worth of our products, and that takes a lot of education. And that's also why um, I decided to, um, in addition to selling Lucy Tea, that we're also going to have a retail service um, outlet, which was Tea Drunk, the tea house that was in East Village. And this way we get a chance to uh, articulate who we are, uh, the very distinctive style of Chinese way serving tea to the customers. And another added advantage is that this is New York City. Um, in right. New York City, I think New Yorkers are um, like innately like, very curious, and that's an awesome thing. People are not afraid of new things. Instead, right. people wanting to find out what it is. Uh, we are also able to attract a lot of geeky people, and we always
1: <laughs> Wait, love. you say a lot of ge- ask, geeky people? Like geeky people? Geeky? Yes, like geeky like people. I love. I'm a geek. I love technology. Like geeky. <laughs> <I'm> nerdy. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
2: Like people who want to get. To I'm the bottom a geeky of guy. Place, right? I do
1: love technology and, and detail. Yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and I think that's always at our advantage, because the more questions people ask, the more they realize, wow, tea is so much more than what I thought it, it is. And that is um, going to play into a factor of people reassessing the value of tea. Um, so so those are all very good things for us. And um, I would say, yeah, in my initial design to uh, of tea drunk, um, educa- tea education played a huge part.
1: Right. I can imagine. Um, so you, you launched this business, you, you have a, a higher net worth, I'll say, individual or high, someone willing to pay more for tea um, as your target consumer. How have you grown um, You know, retail stores or online? Or what does that look like?
2: Yes. So um, during COVID, we actually closed down our uh, retail shop. Right. But that only uh, came after that we have very actively and successfully pivoted to the online space. So our online space has always existed, but um, we've decided to take it to the next level and also accelerate a lot of initiatives that we already had in our mind during COVID. Um, So in that way, I'm kind of grateful for uh, COVID that really forced us to make certain decisions. And um, we, in terms of the educational portion, I'm really proud that Tea Drunk, we actually launched the first most comprehensive and in-depth digital tea education platform in English. It's called Tea Drunk Academy. Um, I think it's a an like, extraordinary accomplishment of a company of our size. Uh, so on Tea Drunk Academy, we have in-depth guided tastings for most of the teas on our website. Uh, we also have a tea fundamental course that's 20 hours that covers some of the most basic uh, concepts in tea. And we have seminars that we have collaborated with tea scholars in China on very specific academic topics on tea. Um, we have, from basic classes such as brewing course to the more advanced class like tea processing all on Tea Drunk Academy. And it's on demand and people can do it at their own pace, which I think is fabulous for uh, this continuing kind of pandemic era we're living in. No doubt. Um, Yes, for sure. And then another thing that we did was the educational tea club. So it's a subscription business model, um, which I think Every business is seeking some kind of uh, (laughs) subscription model, right? That's for sure. Um, So, for us, before it was mostly focusing just on the teeth that we sent out to people. But during COVID, we quickly realized that we need to find an alternative way to maintain that deep connection we have with our customers and also being able to nurture a large community that's beyond the physical location we were limited to before. So now with our educational tea club, in addition to just the teas people receive, we actually do two live tastings uh, with our members every month. And I would say some of our most loyal customers belong to our educational tea club. And that membership base has been continued to grow. Uh, not only that's very good for the business, but I would say that these customers also become our ambassadors. And the um, influence that Tea Drunk has start to just kind of snowballing. Um, another thing we start doing are also some of the cross-industry collaborations as well. So, for example, this um, uh, Wednesday, we're going to have a chocolate and tea pairing virtual event with dandelion chocolate on the West Coast. Um, so, we keep finding companies that kind of share similar uh, visions and values with Tea Drunk to collaborate with. We're also launching a... Uh, dim sum and tea tasting with a, I would say a landmark dim sum place in New York City called the Namwa. Oh, very um, nice. And yeah, during Covid, they also kind of transformed and now they're able to ship their frozen dumplings nationwide, which is awesome. Uh, so 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 now you know people on the west coast can also enjoy the awesome dim sum from Namwa paired with tea drunk teas, and we're going to do this just in time for the lunar new year that's coming up. Um, sometimes we also collaborate with companies that people think probably don't uh, like immediately strike people as the 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 comp- the industry that have relationships, uh, such as, um, for example, one of our uh, good partner is the jewelry brand, Van Cleef & Artels. Um, it's just through some initial conversations, we quickly realized that the two brands have a lot in common in our pursuit of excellence. And um, so since then, we have done many of the tea tastings uh, for both the in-house staff and also uh, to kind of pair with their jewelry presentation for their uh, most important clients as well. Got it. And um, yeah, and we're continuing to kind of presenting tea as a great non-alcoholic alternative, uh, but also for social drinking um, in this day and age, which I think a lot of people are seeking non-alcoholic Uh, options to either pair with their food or to just do as a fun activity Um, stand-alone. And it's obviously very healthy too.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I love it. Um, You've you've been doing this now for a a pretty good number of years, like almost 10 years now since you started the business. Um, And it's evolved quickly the last year or two. Um, I always love to ask our guests to share one or two biggest lessons learned or a piece of advice you'd offer to other entrepreneurs that are listening. What would be those one or two things you'd offer?
2: Uh, yes, well, I think there are uh, two things. One is kind of know your position in the industry. Um, there are, so T Drunk, definitely we have positioned ourselves as a highly, highly specialized business in a very niche market. Um, so that very much dictated how we approach our products, our customers, and how we run business in general. Um, I have you know, friends in the tea business as well, and then a lot of the other tea companies might work more on volume. I think no matter what industry you're in, um, there are definitely different paths one can take. So in terms of running business, uh, I don't think there's only one way to go. And knowing that what you are very good at as an entrepreneur, I think that's very important. Uh, I have come to realization that I probably am not very good at running a volume-based Business, but somehow um, I guess I have proven that I am good at running a specialized niche uh, uh, product, uh, hopefully in the luxury sector. And um, another thing is, this is going to sound very cliche, but I have to say it's definitely very true: is work with the right people. Uh, No matter if it's the internal team that you're developing, um, make sure that you work with people with the right expertise and also the right work ethic. Um, sometimes it almost takes a few kind of wrong runs to know how awesome it is to work with people um, that you can't actually rely on sure. and then also uh, bring their own expertise to the work. Okay. Um, and then that goes with partners as well. Um, no doubt. So um, yeah, sometimes, you know, we work with no matter if it's the vendors or your um uh b2b clients and um it just makes a huge difference if it's not just about collaborative it's about people actually all know what they're doing and make their uh contribution to the work um then not only you know we all you know together we accomplish greatness um but it's so much fun to work along the way as well
1: no doubt actually
2: we have a a few uh, partners in Latin America that we developed during the last year. And um, I am so happy working with them. Um, we had a 20-hour tea class in Guadalajara, Mexico in October. And then we're actually going to have another tea class in Argentina in uh, February. And this one is going to be focusing on the processing of tea. And it's going to be a 40-hour class.
1: Wow. That's amazing. Yes. So cool. Um, share with the audience where they can find you, connect with you, um, learn more about tea.
2: Yes. Yeah, please. Um, uh, check out tea. Dash drunkcom um, So yeah, it's t-drunk. You're being tea drunk. intoxicated. Yep. <laughs> yes, t-drunk.
1: <tea> <laughs> I love it. It's really, really cool. Shannon. it's been so great having you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. I know you've got a lot um, of road in front of you here. I I, I think we all learned more about the t Uh, space and industry, you're certainly an expert and a good resource also to leverage um, for others that might be working around the space. So thanks for being here. You got to come back on down the road and share more stories with us.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me.
0: The ContenderCast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck and powered by Contender Brands. You can download additional ContenderCast episodes directly via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music,